where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we're celebrating Diane Chambers Day. This episode aired on the 20th of March 1986. It's the 22nd episode of season four, directed by James Burroughs and written by Kimberly Hill, who is a new writer. I'm James. I'm John and you're very high energy for this episode. I've finished my coffee. I'm ready to go. Go straight into it then. Uh, the cold opening. There's a relief waitress. Yes. The cold opening opens and Sam has trusted Woody to hire a new relief waitress for the bar. You know, he's done a good job. He knows his stuff. She's running late because uh, for a first day, she decides to take a break at the beginning of the day, which means this is probably a good sign, you know, good sign of a good waitress. I mean, it means that she's hard worker. She can work tirelessly. That's about as good as Diana at the moment. Except Sam doesn't like her. Yeah, she does eventually arrive, and Sam says that she's not the kind of waitress they normally go for. Because Sam's sleazy. But she is wearing like a diner uniform. Yeah, because she used to work at the heifer. Which means she she does know someone in the bar already, which is of course Norm. A hungry heifer regular. I think Norm's daily plan is that he wakes up, spends some time with the heads to the hungry heifer for lunch, and then heads to Cheers until about 2am, and then goes back home. And that's kind of mostly the introduction, I think. Sam says that their clientele come for... Eye candy, essentially. Yeah. But then, of course, Al comes in. Sam, where'd you get the fox? (laughs) So it looks like Cheers clientele will be happy. This episode was originally called banditos. It's somewhat related, but I can understand why they called it Diane Chambers Day. Why it was called banditos is not as relevant to the plot as the concept of Diane Chambers Day, I'd say. Do you know why it was going to be called banditos? Because of the Magnificent Seven. Which just play a small part in it. Yes, exactly. And we'll get into that. When we do open up, we, we find out that Norm's having a bit of a hard time. Vera wants to go on vacation. Norm wants... Not to. Not, not to, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't want to spend money, yeah. Yeah, he's just lost his job, hasn't he? So Cliff's trying to cheer him up a bit. He's trying to say, rather than go home, why don't, why don't we go out? Why don't we have a good time? There's a, quite a few different suggestions, I think. They want to go to a strip club because yeah. there's a new performer, dancer. I don't know the correct term. And it's called the Wham Bam Room. Is that a reference to David Bowie? Oh, it could be. Wham Bam, thank you, man. For some reason, I, I, I've pictured the neon Bang Bang Club sign from Twin Peaks. Yeah, and there's also the bada-bing in The Sopranos. They just like these onomatopoeic... <laughs> that's a word, it must be. Those onomatopoeic titles, don't they? The strip clubs. That's on the cards of what they're going to do. They start gearing up for it. They invite, not Frasier, but Frage. He's ecstatic that he's being invited. Uh, not because it's a strip club, but because, in his own words, he's being invited along to this evening of devilment. Yeah, he's kind of being sort of inducted into the gang. I do like how he takes a moment just to say he's not sure if it really fits his style, his image. <laughs> and uh, they say, a desperately lonely character on the making, which I thought was a good sort of development of Frasier, how he is really kind of hitting rock bottom. Yes, but he feels like he's got friends now. For a lot of season three and the first half of season four, He was that kind of outsider, but he has been welcomed now. I think it's because people no longer see him as one Diane's partner or two Diane's former partner, but now just someone else who's at the bar. When he took that janitor job, it really really helped his image. And I think it goes a long way. The plans change. 
of what they're going to do. And they decide instead that they're going to go watch a classic movie at Sam's. Which is a magnificent seven. Yeah, which Carla's obviously up for as well. I think the whole gang are. This kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of the days of Coach, when they used to watch the... Uh... They used to watch Thunder Road, did they not? Yeah. Sam comes bursting into the bar going, Tonight, one night only, the magnificent seven, my house, everyone, come on. And I'll tell you why I found this interesting, that choice of film. I find it particularly notable because, one, Woody hasn't seen it, and Carla says that as a kind of rite of passage for him. Mm. But interestingly, with the main cast and Frasier, there are seven major players in this episode. Mm. They themselves are the Magnificent Seven. They get ready, they're all hyped up to watch the film, they're all leaving. Frasier's still invited, he's ecstatic about. It's like you say, he's got friends, which I don't think he's really had before. I think he's always had colleagues. Or patients. Yeah, and I think he's he's really excited about the prospect of, of going and watching a, a film. As they're leaving, Diane comes in and... She says something about how American Westerns aren't normally for her. Well, yeah, it's because The Magnificent Seven is based on The Seven Samurai. Yeah, so she's saying she'd be interested to see the comparison. And they kind of say, yeah, we'll keep that in mind when we watch it. See ya. Oh, backhanding her there, aren't you? Just wham, bam. <laughs> wham, wham, bam, yeah. <laughs> then she, she kind of, I think, does a bit of a whimper. And Carla says, nobody heard that. And kind of just wants everyone to carry on. And the way of getting everyone to sort of just leave Diane to lock up the bar is they start singing the theme. I think a couple of weeks ago, Norm said he wanted to be in a barbershop quartet. Uh, that's pretty evident here. It was a great rendition. Yeah, and he comes in with the bass, doesn't he? Mm. The next day, Diane just sort of expresses her. Feels isolated within the bar, again. Like a prison of sorts for her, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot. She started this season trying to do penance in, in a church. And in many ways, I think this is... She still picked the bar for penance in, in many ways. And she can get out anytime she likes, but she may never leave. It's her own Hotel California, don't you think, John? <laughs> she keeps coming back, despite taking nothing from it. No value. They're a symbiotic relationship where cheers as an institution and her, they drain each other. Neither of them benefit each other, but neither of them can do without each other. Hmm. That's, all, yeah, that's quite a good take on it, James. Very profound. But tell you what, you say that. Today is uh, Diane Chambers Day. I think the gang feel a little bit of guilt. Well, yeah, particularly when she calls in sick because she's got an allergy, which makes her cry. <laughs> Fraser comes in and he kind of, a bit of a party planner, and he sets up essentially a day devoted to all of the things Diane loves that the gang can take her on. And to be fair, if there was anyone in Cheers I'd want to plan a party for me, I'd want it to be probably Fraser because Fraser is very intuitive, has a lot of attention to detail, you know, and is very... Clever. I think others in the bar would plan what they'd like, whereas I think Fraser would plan what he thinks the other person would like. I think Norm is somewhat this to an extent with his accounting background. Toga party. Don't forget that. We've had a toga party. There's been a, a painting party, which Cliff set up, which sounded horrible. It's been a few. As part of Diane Day, it can't be a Diane Day without opera, which takes us to another new location of this series where the gang are in like an opera house in a box 
up in the rafters. Ooh, fancy. Very fancy. Everyone's suited up. And before we delve into what happens there, we'll take a little pause. One, to talk about the cast, but also for me to say this concept of an ensemble cast of characters, particularly in a bar, dedicating a whole day to someone who has been a butt of their jokes and feels a bit isolated, reminded me of the It's Always Sunny episodes, where every so often they would dedicate a whole day to one of their bar staff. And in particular, it reminds me of season 14, episode 3, D-Day. That's a good actual comparison. Obviously, It's Always Sunny was made significantly after Cheers, but Danny DeVito is one of the main characters of that, and Rhea is his wife. Rhea Pullman. It's a slightly opposite because in Sunny, D-Day is very much an enforced day which has been promised to her and she milks it for everything she can. This one's a little bit more wholesome. <laughs> yes. Because Sunny in, in many ways is a, like a modern Cheers where it's taken maybe about 20 steps further. The jokes are... It's taken the worst aspects of the characters and pushed them. Yeah. And the jokes and the scenarios as well into a much darker sense of comedy. Exactly. I've seen quite a few articles where Sam and Dennis are essentially the same character, mm. but one of them is very much classed as a sociopath, both within the show and in analysis thereof, whereas Sam is more perceived as a object of his era. Yeah. He's, he's sort of caricatured as much more charming most of the time. But yeah, that, that, that's quite a good comparison. There's a few comparisons between... Sunny and Cheers. I advise you listeners to look into it because we certainly find the comparisons and influence from Cheers into Sunny interesting. But alas, the cast. You won't see an opera in Sunny, but what you do see in Cheers in this episode is Kelsey Grammer as Dr. Fraser Crane, Al Rosen as Al, Tom Harrison as Dennis Kaufman. He also appeared in Remington Steel and a few other roles. And Jacqueline Castle as Jackie also appeared. She has previously appeared in Cheers as woman number one, female customer number two, and customer number one. But this is her final episode, which is a bit of a shame. I'd forgot all about Dennis. One of Diane's dates who came in wearing Shakespearean garb. 14th century. He's come from a medieval fair where he's working to drop off her jumper. And she's a bit embarrassed of him, a bit ashamed, and she's trying to usher him out as quickly as possible. Shoo! Shoo, Dennis. <laughs> Before the gang sort of rip him apart, essentially, I think. Yeah, and they do. Including Woody, sweet Woody, and he comes out with this zinger. Now, Woody here was the only one of you mature enough to refrain from jumping on your mud-slinging bandwagon. Well, why should I, Miss Chambers? I like Denise. And that's Dennis. I know! <laughs> <laughs> do you know, arguably, the, the best zinger there from Woody. Exactly. But how can we go without this episode without talking about Corinne and who played Corinne? It's the wonderful Doris Grau. And you may have heard this name, John. She also appeared in The Tracy Ullman Show, The Critic, but had a recurring role in The Simpsons, of which she was also a script supervisor, a role she has also had on Cheers for a few episodes since season one. Now, can you tell me which recurring role Doris Grau played in The Simpsons? I honestly don't know. Lunch Lady Doris. Ah, that's quite a fitting one. Terribly typecast there, though. Yes, but they named it after her because obviously uh, she was being a script supervisor. That's quite an interesting fact, James. Anyway, back to the opera. Back to the opera. The opera's about to begin. We can see the gang very smartly dressed. 
Tahan's got a set of opera glasses. Cliff has his like industry level spying gear. <laughs> Cliff is clearly a spy. I, d- I don't think what you'd have the need for such big binoculars in Boston. Probably from a snipe hunt. That's probably it. <laughs> but yeah, he gets them out and he, he starts perusing. What do you call them? Uh, the orchestra, orchestra pit. pit. That's it. He spots someone and he's a bit creepy. Cliffy, uh, think those are powerful enough, pal? <laughs> You better believe it, him. Get a load of the warheads on that chalice. What's quite good is there's kind of like a, a moment from Sam who's kind of like, they're going like, stop it, stop it. Stop being unclassy. This is a classy venue. A moment later, it's like, past up binoculars. They all have to try to stay awake. That's their aim. It's what, four hours? I don't know how long an opera is. Many hours. Woody gets assigned the role of uh, waking up anyone who's asleep. And we get this really good panning shot. And I think it starts on Norm who's asleep, then goes to Woody. uh, And then you kind of know this isn't going to go well. Uh, Sam's asleep, Cliff's asleep. But then finally, Diane is also asleep. And uh, the whole gang has slept through it. Yeah, it's worth pointing out Carla isn't here, which we learn later was Carla's way of being nice to Diane. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was nice that Diane also fell asleep. Obviously, it was a way to show that passage of time, really, if they were all asleep. But it did show that aspect of doing things as a whole, as a community, that dissonance between individual and a group, uh, where Diane felt she was very much by herself, a lone wolf, so to speak. But now everyone's asleep. I think it's that thing of if she was still awake, she would be then be the butt of the joke and they'd all have to try and pretend to have not fallen asleep. But the fact that she's part of this pretense of having watched it all, it kind of makes the opera the butt of the joke. And she's in on that. Yes. Quite often, Frasier and Diane are seen as more eloquent intellectual figures, more, for lack of a better word, upper class than the rest of Cheers. But what this episode does is it kind of mocks those archetypes of people of higher social standing where it's mocking opera saying you claim it to be this intellectual moving thing but really is that just a facade that you're pretending to like much like you know emperor's new clothes or something as lots of these episodes end it ends with the bar being empty apart from Sam and Diane. And it's that kind of moment where they check in on the will they, won't they? And I say this episode definitely leans towards will they? And she's really appreciative of the day that they've all put together and the efforts they've all made. She starts to kind of make a, make a move on Sam, which is a, a bit unusual. What's interesting this time, which is, is different to every other occasion, is Sam feels the sort of compulsion to come clean and kind of give credit to Frasier and, and kind of make it be known that Frasier's the one who's set up the whole day. Yeah, and this is after Diana has dropped her purse on the floor. They passionately kiss on the floor and you're just going, whoa, like you're getting a hose on them. Just, just stop it down. Sam did the right thing in telling the truth. And Diane knows this. And she tells Sam that she's more attracted to him than she ever has been before because he's being honest. But despite that, they're not going to have sex because Diane thinks that their relationship is more mature and they can be patient and let it develop as opposed to fulfilling their animal lust. And that, that's the end of the episode. And I think overall it's been quite a, a good episode. I think it's, it's always interesting when the gang get put in a new scenario, whether it's a bowling alley or an opera house. That's the trivia bell. And that means we've got some uh, lovely uh, trivia questions that have just been delivered in the post there, James. I'm going to kick it off. What's Norm's nickname to the staff at the Hungry Heifer? What's his nickname they've given him behind his back? 
the guy who comes back? Yeah, the guy who comes back because no one else returns. He's a loyal customer. Loyalty card. Every three surfing turfs, one free Beth. What cheap alternative did Norm suggest to Vera instead of baking in the sand and sun? Baking? Just baking? Turn up the radiator and stick her feet in the cat box. Mmm. Cliff makes suggestions on what to give as a gift to a woman after ending a relationship with them. What suggestion does he give? What gift? I don't know. A box of dried figs. Figs? Does he give a reason? He likes figs. Oh. And this is where Frasier comes in and goes, no, figs won't do it. Opera. Mm. I was going to ask if you could give a quick summary of the opera that they watched, James. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From what I can remember... It's about an arranged marriage, but the brother-in-law or something is unhappy and is betraying them in favour of another bride. Is it something like that? This is partially a trick question because I've actually got a summary here and I can't understand it. So I might as well have fell asleep. Enrico, Lucia's brother, arranges a marriage between his friend Arturo and Lucia by tricking her into believing Edgardo has been untrue. Oh, well, I get it. Yeah. Edgardo's who Lucia is involved with. So he kind of manipulates her into being in a relationship with someone else. Is that similar to this episode at all? Sort of. In that Diane believed that it was all Sam's doing, but she was being misled. So it was like a almost up until the end, the same story when Sam did the right thing. Well, there were parallels, small parallels, but I don't think that the big plot was really there. But it does bring me to my question. What is Diane's favourite opera? I mean, I, I think that's correct. That's what Sam did. It's Lucia de Lammermoor. Whatever you said was close. So. <laughs> Last call at the bar, James. I don't think we've got a drink, but this was a classy episode. I'm thinking some flutes of something sparkly. I see what you did there, because flute is a type of glass, but also a musical instrument that one might see in an opera. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's what you did, on purpose. You have champagne in flutes, don't you? Yeah, champagne for Diane Day. Grab your opera goggles, grab a flute of champagne, and cheers to uh, happy Diane Day. Stay classy. Stay classy. Couldn't say it better myself, James. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Cheers, podcast. Mm-hmm.